You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. This is episode 47. In a world that is quite obviously changing at an unprecedented rate, it's worth taking some time to think about the way our often intense, high-paced lifestyles are impacting on our state of mind. Alison Hill is a psychologist and author. She's a regular on mainstream TV shows and in the print media. And she joins us here on the Team Guru podcast to tell us how to live boldly in a busy world as well as telling us how she got the title as Australia's coolest psychologist, Alison helps us develop a deeper understanding of the feeling of being overwhelmed, that all-too-familiar state that burdens so many amongst us. She breaks overwhelm into three distinct cognitive states. She talks us through the internal and external factors that conspire to put us there, and she gives us some practical advice on lifting our heads out of the malaise and gaining a fresh, positive perspective on life. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Australia's coolest psychologist, Alison Hill. Alison Hill, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thank you, David. It's great to uh, be chatting with you. Nice to have you on the show, Alison. You are Australia's coolest psychologist. Well, that's what my kids call me. (laughs) Is that where it came from? It's on the back of your book. I've read it in a couple of places. Was that a label that your kids gave you, was it? Look, it's one of those, it is kind of one of those things. And, and in some cases, the reality is when you talk about psychology, it very much comes from the academic world and it's, it's research-based and how we can get the evidence of it, which is the side of science that I love. And I think a lot of the conversations that we have is also just about life and not taking ourselves too seriously. And so there's, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek in that space in terms of the reality is there's no scientific test for coolness, so it's really hard to prove, right? Well, you got it, it made it to your book, so it's passed yeah. some kind of test. Well, I, I've got to say I like it. It works because it, it, it attracted me to your work. So I'm thinking, all right, if this chick's even in the running for being the coolest psychologist in Australia, <laughs> I want to talk to her. Now, I'm going to let our guests in on a little, little secret here, Alison. Last Friday night, I was sitting here in my little homemade studio waiting to get online to you, and I just had to walked back downstairs to my wife, a shattered man. And I said to her, the coolest psychologist in Australia just stood me up. I've been ousted, haven't I? You have. (laughs) Oh my gosh. When I talk about, so yeah, I talk about how we handle the busyness and how we kind of do the stuff that matters. And there are times where, you know, there are parts of our lives where we do a little bit crappily because (laughs) we're focusing on other things. And I'm like, whilst I dig into the research and I talk about this, I also am really happy to wear my 
my mess on my sleeve and <laughs> say that I don't always get it right. So what happened last Friday, we have actually just bought a brand new camper trailer in our family and we're taking it camping for, before Christmas and my husband said, let's go just overnight so we can see how we can set it up, see what else we need and let's just go. So we literally grabbed the kids from school and we headed off to somewhere that has no phone reception. I didn't, of course, check my calendar. Of course, <laughs> Completely forgot our catch-up and stood you up. So I'm so sorry, David, but it's great to <laughs> chat with you now. <laughs> I was happy to have a jig with you about it because my listeners will know that only two or three episodes ago, I had to make an, an on-air apology to my guest. I stood Simon Dowling up. My excuse was that... Um, it was the day, the first business day after daylight saving. And of course I'm in Queensland and he's down South. So we didn't get the times right. And he was sitting on Skype waiting for me when I thought I still had an hour to go before the interview. So <laughs> that's why I was completely fine when you sent me that message, because he who is without sin shall cast yeah. the first stone. And I certainly am not, but I and am I sad to hear it's... I was gazumped by a camper van. Yeah. Look, it's pretty epic camper trail, I've got to say. <laughs> Did you have a good weekend? <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We literally only went for the night. We were back by, by morning tea time the next morning, but it was just to set it up. The inbuilt stereo, make sure that works. Make sure that we can put it back down again and uh, get home. But yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. But a look, trial I, run, I reckon hey? these, uh, the conversations about the mess in the success and <laughs> talking about when we don't quite get it right, is actually what connects us in all aspects of life, whether it's work, whether it's home, whether it's the connections. So, yeah, You're absolutely I'm, I'm, right. I'm okay with being ousted. <laughs> You're absolutely right. You know, when, when you bumble something as a human being in a setting that might otherwise be pure and straight down the line, that can bring a, a lot of humanity into the situation, can't it? Yeah, but I think a lot of society and the way that we operate is this expectation of perfect and it's really – it's really hard to step into that vulnerability, to be the first one to go, you know what, I, I kind of stuffed up. Our natural reflex, and I'm probably letting you in on a little secret, but last Friday there was a part of me going, oh, who else can I blame? Like, who else could I, <laughs> I dob in on this? Like, it was, maybe it wasn't my fault. Ah, but you owned up. I did own up. I did own up. And that, but it does take a certain vulnerability and whilst, you know, we're laughing and talking about camper trailers and, and podcasts, I think it does reflect part of what we need to step into. And when we see those conversations and we hear that, you know, geez, I, I, I didn't really turn up there or I really didn't step up in that space from others, I think it gives us permission to do the same. And I think it's an important, an important thing to, to learn and remember. But for someone in, say, a work setting, let's let's talk about a work setting, to show, to take that leap of faith and show a bit of vulnerability, to trust the people that are around them, that is, as I say, a leap of faith. Someone's got to almost break the seal in any given team or, or a situation. Absolutely. And, and I think it often is the ownership of the leader in the space to do that. There's a really powerful position to be the one to go, hey, we're stepping into a new project or we're, we're about to undertake or take on a new client, for example, and we've never done this before. And I'm not sure how it's going to go, but I reckon we've got the right people on the bus and I'd love to get your input, but I don't have all the answers. That's a really powerful position to be in and it allows other people to then come to the party and go, you know what, I don't have the answers either, but let's step into this uncertainty and the reality is leadership 
is almost defined by stepping people through uncertainty, which when you think about the definition of vulnerability, it's pretty much exactly the same thing. You're absolutely so, right. Yeah. You know, the, the, being aware and being honest and vulnerable about what you're not great at, what you're not an expert at, is the other side of the coin to being clear about your strengths. Now, we talk about being an authentic leader, which means that I should be the best version of David Frizzell that I could be, and you should be the best version of Alison Hill that you can be. And to do that, you need to be aware of what you're actually good at. What is it that you've got to offer? We as a society are not great at either side of the coin. We just talked about the difficulty we have often being vulnerable and honest about what we're not great at. But we're just as bad, I think, in society of being honest about what we are good at. Imagine if we started a conversation in a work setting and I told you what I'm good at. That would be a really strange thing to do. You'd probably think I was a bit of a jerk. But in, in reality, it's, it's something that we probably should be a bit better at. It's very un-Australian, isn't it? Mm. Like to actually walk into a room and go, you know what, I rock out. I'm totally awesome at running spreadsheets or I'm totally brilliant at being a relationship person. Yeah. Like you would. You would. You just go, oh, a bit of a wanker guy? going on there. And yet, I, as leaders and, you know, not only do I study and work in this leadership space with, with a lot of big corporates, but I also have a team of 12 myself. And I got to tell you, I would crave that. If I had people come to me and go, look, you know, here's the job that I need to do. But you know, the thing that I actually love doing, the thing that I just obsess about doing that I, I can't, it's almost like I can't not think about it. That's the part of the job that I really love. And so for me as a leader, if I were to hear that, then of course I'm going to be engineering what I can to bring that strength to the fore, to actually have them working, operating in that space even more and offering that to the rest of the team where, where they might be able to mentor others, to actually shape others and help others. I literally have the greatest EA on the planet. She is absolutely brilliant. And basically, I, I tell people on a weekly basis, if you come anywhere near her to headhunt her or steal her from me, you you really got to back away. <laughs> and <laughs> one of the things, we actually sat down and, and had this conversation with her and said, you know, what is it that you love about your job? What parts of it do you really enjoy? And what are you great at in that space? And uh, you know what she said to me? She said, I love running a calendar. <laughs> I love hearing well, She's in the right job. Absolutely in the right job because I'm like, I love that you love running a calendar. Because <laughs> clearly on the back of last Friday's efforts, I'm not very good on my own. Well, we but, can't judge you on one event, Alison. No, that's true. That's true. But she just said, I love, you know, that it's not just the calendar, but it's I need to figure out where you need to be. I need to be looking at the map to decide, you know, where how far you need to stay from the venue, from where you're going to stay. Do you need to have lunch somewhere and what kind of breaks do you need? What's the gap? Like all of that coordination. She goes, I love that. So again, my ability to kind of make sure that I never take that off her plate, that that's a big part of what she does, that I give her the time and space to do that. Obviously, it's such a match for the job she's in that I want to amplify that. So that kind of begs the question, what do you do if someone comes to you and they tell you what they're great at, but it's got nothing to do with their job? Nah, <laughs> you're right. That is the question. That's an interesting place to be. But I think if you talk about authentic leadership and talk about being vulnerable and being okay with someone else's vulnerability where they say, hey, this is the stuff I'm great at, but it's not actually what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis, then I think that's a really interesting conversation to go, okay, well, what is it that we can help you either 
be doing more of that? Is there a job? Is there a role in this organisation? And it's okay to say, look, there may not be now, but what can I do to help you get a job somewhere else or to further those skills on a part-time basis? Or what is it outside of work that could be then helping you to be the best version of you can be if that's not something that we have or a need for right here and right now? So I think they're all really, really good conversations. Look, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I love and value really highly the conversation about being better at describing and, and knowing what we're good at so we can develop that and find things to do that fall within those those range of talents that we all have. Because how much better is the world? How much better is our job when we get to do every day the things that we really enjoy because they come naturally to us and we can be really good at it rather than pushing pushing a barrow up a hill for things that just don't come naturally to us when there are people in the world like your EA who probably really like doing that thing that I find tedious and difficult and unnatural. So I love that conversation. Look at that unsolicited piece of advice. Number one, Alison, we've come up with it early in the podcast and that wasn't even on my list of things to talk talk to you about. That just came up. Well, overachiever. Overachiever. <laughs> yes, you are. Now let's get to my list. Alison, your new book, Stand Out, is all about, and this is your line, living boldly in a busy world. And you make the point early in the book that being busy has become a badge of honor. I just want to talk about for a little while the extent to which people are feeling overwhelmed in their life. Oh, it's a fair bit, to be honest, David. And So a big part of this book came out of the conversations that I was having with leaders in organisations that we work with. So I'm a founder of a business called Pragmatic Thinking. We're a behaviour and motivation strategy company. So we go into a business where you might have your company strategy and we say, how do you get your people on board? How do you get them motivated and how do you get them behaving in the way that you want to? And we were running programs and what I was finding at the start of a lot of these programs is that we would spend 15 to 20 minutes where people would just need to offload their week to talk about the sheer amount of change that was happening. We're in an environment of the velocity of change is like something we've never seen before, where we have organized organizational restructures on top of each other. And so, you know, you probably, I'm sure your listeners have heard the term feeling change weary. It's almost yeah. like we're tired of the the next memo, the next restructure, the next, like, who's my boss going to be this week? So there's an exhaustion of that, but also it's been coupled with this sense of we've got to do more, we've got to disrupt our industry, whatever industry that is, we've got to be ahead of the game, we've got to be on top of it all. And it's kind of coming with this collateral cost where we're exhausted, we're losing sight of who we are amongst the busyness, and there's just this sense of that there's no end in sight. Where there used to be, you know, we used to have an organisational restructure and then we would bed down for three years and then we'd have another one. But we're just in this environment of relentless change. And I think as human beings, we haven't quite built the muscle up or we haven't, the reality is we've never worked like this before. This is new. And so we haven't yet set the parameters around or the boundaries around how do I make sure that I can, and I love your line around how do I turn up the best version of myself in order to keep contributing in this space? So busy and overwhelming is a big part of of our world and big part of the world that we work. The other thing I got really fascinated in in the conversations was I was finding that 
even in the same conditions, so where an organisation or business might be going through a restructure, there might be very different responses to that, even within the same office space, for example. So one team, it's almost like through this change, through this busyness, it's almost like they rise to the challenge. They step up, they pull together and they just get stuff done. But the very same condition, the team sitting next to them, it's like they're imploding, they're fighting amongst each other and dragging the train. And I got really fascinated around that question that it's not the condition, it's not necessarily even the busyness or the change, but what is the difference between those two? What's the, what's the difference in the response in terms of how we view change, how we turn up and how we look after ourselves in that process? So, yeah, I think... I think we are in a state of overwhelm and you don't have to go too far. We ask someone, how are they? Mm. And their very first response is, and it's usually coupled with, you know, shoulders pounding down a big sigh and they go, I'm busy. I'm really busy. <laughs> but, and, and that almost is a, is a reflex response, isn't it, in organisations? Because if you were to say that you weren't busy, people would be wondering, well, what the hell are you doing? We're all so busy over yeah. here and there you are saying you're not busy. So we all, you know, a lot of people just say that anyway. But look, you said a lot of really interesting things there. Way back, you you talked about we've never lived in a business environment that changes as frequently as we do now. And we used to make a change and it was a big deal to make a change. And then we'd bed down for a number of years and see how the change rolled out. But it's as if now that we're constantly changing, but it's never enough. We need to continue to change and we need to continue to disrupt markets and find new ways and all those kind of things to compete with other companies who are equally struggling under the burden of change. It's a really strange little environment we've set up for ourselves. But you touched on something that I didn't know if I was going to bring it up. So I will bring it up now that you've kind of half given me permission. At the beginning of your book where you describe this overwhelm and you describe three state of mind that the cognitive conditions that people are often in, we'll talk about those soon. I was sitting there reading your book thinking, you know what, Alison, I don't relate to this. That's not Mm -hmm. me. I don't feel overwhelmed. And I was sitting there Mm. thinking, oh my goodness, what? should I keep reading this? And then you gave me permission to not read it all, but I actually did read quite a bit of it anyway. You said in some part of your introduction, you may, just, just after I was thinking it, you may not be feeling this way. If you aren't, you're lucky, skip on. And I thought, oh, thank goodness. She's sort of acknowledged <laughs> that not everyone is feeling overwhelmed. So I don't know where I want this question to go. I, I kind of want you to make sense of that for me. In, in a world where people have almost created a reflex language about being overwhelmed and being too busy and not handling the change, there are a few of us out here that are actually okay with it all. I feel very relaxed. More, So many of my clients are changing. My own business is changing. My life is changing. But I've got to say the anxiety needle has not moved. Good. Own it. Step into that. Absolutely. And I think in a, in a space where there are a lot of people saying, oh, I'm really overwhelmed, I think being the beacon for that is actually really, really powerful to say, you know what? It's not that I'm busy. I'm getting a lot of stuff done, but I'm really lit up about it. I'm really passionate about it and I'm loving what I'm doing. And really, I think that's part of the place that we all can get to when we start to realise that it's not the environment that is having the impact on us, but it's often how we we frame it and how we understand that for ourselves, but also how we set up the parameters around it. So I get there's a lot of people, you know, potentially even people listening now going, 
yeah, but you haven't got my life and you don't know how busy I am and mm. I haven't got a second in the day to even like <laughs> do anything. Yeah. And I get it and I know that we do have the capacity to push back on what we see is urgent right in front of us in order for us to take the time out to be able to deliver the best quality on the work that we want to do. So I would guess, David, that you are doing stuff that you are really passionate about, that is aligned with your values, so the things that are important to you, and you're probably having conversations that are incredibly energizing for you. Oh, look, all of that's true. And, and I am very satisfied with my work, but let's just say it's not me. Let's say someone else who was agreeing with me right now and saying, you know what, I'm not feeling overwhelmed either, but I know what you're talking about, Alison. There's plenty of my, people at my workplace who do constantly talk about being overwhelmed and being too busy and letting it affect them. It's tempting for some to look at people who are wearing the face of the overwhelmed to think, well, you just haven't got your life sorted out. You just haven't got balance going on. You're, you're not sorted as a person. You are failing in personal leadership. Is that a barbaric stance to take? It's a really mindful and interesting stance to take. And I think it, it almost comes back to the very start of our podcast is that there are times where we can go, so look, I've got it all together. Why don't you? Like what else is going on <laughs> for you? And, yeah. and a bit of that judgment starts to come in. So my question is probably not, is it a barbaric, but is it actually helpful mm. in helping that other person move the dial? That's a good by question. By saying, man, you've just got to get your shit together. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I, there might be a more helpful way to approach that situation and empathy can come alongside encouragement to live bigger and bolder at the same time. So we can completely understand where someone is at whilst also saying, I reckon things could be different. Yeah, you're right. Have a little bit more empathy, David. That's what I need. Just a little bit more emotional <laughs> intelligence in general, I think. Look, I, I love those points, but and I'm glad we got there because to be honest, when we started this conversation, I didn't know if I should go there because I thought, oh, I might undermine the the whole point of what she's about. But actually, it's important that we did go there. Otherwise, we would have been ignoring the elephant in the room. And And the fact is that not everyone does feel overwhelmed but we are all affected by those who are because we all share workplaces by people who might feel overwhelmed. And, and it's very much a feature of a lot of the clients I work with. And it's not everyone getting around the place, but there certainly are people who are feeling too busy, who are not coping with the, the rate of change, as you say, and they need the support of the people around them and a little bit of awareness of what they're, go what they're going through. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. So tell us, Alison, a little more about what are they going through? I love these three common cognitive states that you described. Do you want to tell us about those? Yeah, look, they, they come out of, I guess, I was looking at, again, the points of differences between these groups, the ones that kind of really rise to a challenge who do go, yeah, like bring it on and the ones that, that don't, and not only individuals but looking at teams and organisations that kind of thrive through these change environments. And the ones that really struggle, I found that they, there were two things that were missing. Firstly, they'd either lost sight of their purpose, of why they were doing what they're doing, or their purpose had changed and they hadn't redefined what it was. Or secondly, they'd stopped making progress. So they, they just, again, and we can be hugely busy but not getting anywhere. We can 
spend a lot of time just, you know, getting stuff done, but not actually making progress on clients, on projects, on moving an organisation or moving a team forward. So I was really interested in looking at the intersection between the two. And I've, I've done a lot of work in values and helping people align with their purpose. And I guess what I found was in that conversation, which can sound a bit, look, I'm a psychologist, so we're going to talk about the soft stuff, right? Like we're going to talk about the touchy-feely stuff. And it can sound a bit woo-woo and touchy-feely, but it's also really very, very powerful. But I had found that there are people who are really clear on their purpose and their values and they know what they want in life, but they still just don't get off their ass and get anything done. Yes, <laughs> yes. So I kind of went, it's not just about purpose. There right. are times when actually we've just got to get into action and it's the activity that shows us whether that pathway worked or whether it really didn't work and I have to do an about phase and I go the other direction. But it's not until we get into activity until we do something that we can start to get that feedback and even in my background so I've worked in a clinical setting in the past working with people with depression anxiety and to be honest the first place we start is usually not the couch and talking about you know what your childhood was like (laughs) what your mother did to you that's right we often start and it's it's usually comes down to three things nutrition sleep and movement so what is it that we can do to get you moving? And because they're the, usually the three things to drop when life is starting to, the wheels are starting to fall off. So let's just get back into that because we know there's a huge correlation between mental health and physical health as well as sleep if we can get really good quality sleep. So it actually came back to just the steps every day. What's one thing you can do today that will help in that direction? And then when you get a platform, you can start to talk about, well, why am I here? What's going to happen from here? So this is, I know, a bit long-winded, but it's those two things around purpose and progress and the combination of the two that I got really interested in. And so when you talk about the three states, I guess for our listeners, if we think about purpose and progress almost, they, they make up a quadrant model if they're laying over each other. If we've got progress on the horizontal axis. That's and the x-axis for those mathematicians amongst us. Yeah. And the, I know I was just checking myself in my head going, have I got that right? <laughs> Horizontal is the horizon. And purpose on the vertical or the y-axis. So if we don't have either, if we're feeling like we're not getting anywhere and we've got no purpose, we're just going through the motions. And the kinds of things that I hear in organisations and individuals, when you ask them why are you doing something, they just say just because that's the way it's always been done is just the way things are done around here. Yeah. So that's the kind of language that I hear when you can indicate that, hey, we've kind of lost sight of our purpose. So when you don't have either, this is where we find ourselves in a state of checkout. So this is where we're turning up physically, but we're not really there emotionally. It's the times where we we get to Monday morning, we're literally counting down the seconds to Friday afternoon. We might find ourselves lying on the couch with a bucket of ice cream watching 20 hours of The Walking Dead. And I have had someone say to me, is eight hours okay? And <laughs> 20 hours is not, but maybe eight. Eight might be okay. 10 is probably your tipping point. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if eight hours is okay. You're no, very kind, no, Alison. No. But you're allowed that every now and then. <laughs> so, so it's that. Well, that I'm, I'm not. I have a six month old and a three year old. There's no chance of me watching 10 hours of TV anytime soon. 10 minutes is kind of your <laughs> limit and it's probably the Teletubbies. <laughs> so, yeah, being in a state of, of checkout 
often when we're in that state, what we do is we get busy. So we move up the progress continuum or our horizontal, our x-axis, but we still haven't quite connected with that sense of purpose. When we're making progress, when we're in this state where we might be hitting all our KPIs, we're winning awards, we're hitting all our targets, on the outside everyone's going, you're killing it, you're nailing it, but you've kind of lost, you've just disconnected from why you even started in the first place. This is where we find ourselves in a state of burnout. So busy with a lack of purpose. Yeah, yeah. So this is the times where, you know, we we get up in the morning and we wash coffee over our worries. We we go to drop the kids off and we've mastered the art of not only keeping the car running, we keep the car moving and we kind of just push them out (laughs) as they go because of efficiency, right? We come home, have a glass of wine and we fall into bed and we rinse and repeat. Yeah, yeah. Usually the first three things to go, there's an impact on our health and, again, in that state of busyness. It's a bit similar to to what I was saying before, the first three things to go are sleep, nutrition and movement, Mm. which is actually the very things that we need in order to have the energy to turn up and do the stuff that we want to do. So they're, they're the first two states, check out and burn out. If we move up to looking where we're really, really clear on our purpose, we know exactly why we're doing what we're doing, where we are passionate about it. It's almost like the world doesn't know how exciting this is going to be when it hits it, but but we know it's going to make an impact, but we're not making any progress. Right. This is where we're in a state of freak out. Right. And uh, usually when I say that to an audience or to a group when I'm delivering it, there's a whole bunch of knowing laughs that happen in the room because <laughs> the people go, I know that, I know that stage. This is a space where it's almost like our friends are sick of hearing us talk about what we want to do because they've heard about it for a long time. We just haven't done it. (laughs) Nothing's happening, right? And the reason why we freak out is we start to doubt ourselves that the thing that that is important, the thing that we are passionate about, the thing that we know why we're doing, we doubt that that we're going to even be able to do it. And it's almost like we feel like we have to let go of that if we want to make any progress. So that can be that kind of state of overwhelm as well can come from inertia as much as it comes from busyness, which is an interesting thing to kind of think about. That stuff is fantastic. Can I just recap, please, Alison, quickly, just so to remind our listeners, because you've just been through it so beautifully. So the the three common cognitive states, uh, check out, burn out and freak out. Check out is when we have no purpose. So we just don't nothing we don't we haven't bought into what we're doing burnout is when we we still don't have any purpose but we're really busy so we're doing lots of stuff potentially lots of putting out fires or lots of things that are important to other people but we have no investment in the things we're doing so we became we become burnt out and that's where you said that your your health falls down that's when you as you said, you go through that awful routine that you're just rinsing and repeating and your sleep and your nutrition and your movement are all suffering. And the third stage is freak out. That's when you have a really clear understanding of what your purpose is, but you're not making any progress. So it's frustrating. You're overwhelmed. You're freaked out. I love it. That's clear. I know. I really like the, the quadrant model. We don't, don't we love quadrant models, hey, in, the, oh, uh, don't we? in I our know. world? <laughs> what what yeah, doesn't no, have a good quadrant it, model? I know, I know. But it's so helpful. Uh, but it allows us to go at any point in time, where am I and where do I want to be? And what is it that I want to shift the dial in? So if it is in that state of freak out, we don't need to do any more 
purpose gazing. <laughs> yes. Purpose seeking. Like we've got we've nailed that, right? Yeah. We just need to get clear on, and this is where I talk about what's the action that gets the traction? What's the thing that if I do that, it's gonna move things forward? Because often in freak out, that's where we do a hell of a lot of procrastinating. Yeah. <laughs> so where we're incredibly busy, if we're setting up a new project or you know, even setting up a new business, for example, we can be obsessing about logos. The, the logo and the <laughs> website and the font and the color and the margin and, and you know, I haven't got the right testimonial and I need three testimonials. I've only got two, but we haven't actually picked up the phone to talk to a client. Yeah. We haven't actually told anyone that we've started the business. <laughs> yeah. So we've got to get come back to, okay, if I only did one thing, if I only did three things, what's the thing that's going to get me the most leverage? And if I don't know what that is, then who's done it before that I can go and talk to? What's and that, they'll give me ideas. What's that one thing I can do that will make everything else easier or maybe mm. mean I don't have to do it at all? Who said that? Oh, that's, that rings a bell. That's a really good piece of advice. I like that. All right. Now, before I ask you my next groundbreaking question, Alison, I just want to cover another point. When we talk about overwhelm and freak out and burnout and check out and, and the fact that it's almost this disease that's spread through society and so many people are feeling one of those three ways, I want to know, are we really the first generation to go through this or have other generations felt the same kind of overwhelm and just shouldered it or shouldered the burden more quietly? Such a good question. And I want to say I reckon we're not alone in this. Mm. I would say a lot of this experience has been a fairly human response to uncertainty and probably every generation has had their own version of uncertainty. Absolutely. I think probably what's different now is our connectivity. Yeah. So previously where we used to go to work and we might deal with the overwhelm or we – you know, maybe something blew up with our colleagues or our boss. We would leave work, we would come home, we would do the home business, and then we would go back to work tomorrow. And there really was a knockoff time. Compartmentalized. And there really starting time, yeah. I think that has massively blurred. And in a lot of ways, I think it's a great convenience. The fact that we can be connected at any point in time, the fact that we can check emails, the fact that we can talk to a global audience, that um, that we can do work on our own time increases our flexibility. There's a huge amount of benefits to that. But it also means that we're always connected, mm. that we're always checking, that it does come with this expectation, these unwritten rules that if the boss is sending me an email at 9 o'clock at night and I've seen it, I better respond. Yeah. And so we haven't yet had those conversations around well, where where is it okay and where is it not okay? Where is it a convenience and where is it actually now an inconvenience? And it's often not until we get into the grind that we actually recognize what's happened. It's had such a huge impact on society, families, life, individuals. It feels to me as though this age of connectivity, this information age that we, lived, we live in where you know everyone's got phones and iPads and I have to point it out, it's very obvious – it feels to me as though we're still in the infancy of it. We've got this brand new toy and we're learning how to play with it as a society. I have a fairly firm belief that we will mature as a society and work out how to make it work for us without there being such a, a huge downside. And I know people are working it out slowly and 
Some organizations are better than others. Some organizations are more mature than others in their approach to flexible work conditions, working from home, working from the coffee shop, all of that kind of thing. There's still a a lot of old school thinking that exists across my clients and across my social network. But really we're making ground. I, like I said, I, I have this confidence that we will mature our use of this technology. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, absolutely. And there's already global conversations around it. So France earlier this year, as a country, put in a legislation that you can't email, send work emails after seven o'clock at night. Now, I don't know how you actually collect that. I don't know what kind of impact that has, but they are having a national conversation around this. So I do think there will be maturity and I do think we will have a better relationship with technology and how we can actually set it up so that we are having a good night's sleep so I can turn up tomorrow switched on because they're the leaders of the organization that I want to be following who I know that they're making rational good cognitive decisions because they've had a good night's sleep because they've looked after themselves yesterday and they've come and they're switched on and they're fully present and they're fully here making the right decisions of how we move forward so yeah I do think we are I think there's also a really interesting relationship that we we are growing and evolving with technology. So some of it is quite literally changing our brain and some of the studies of, of neuroscience is really, really interesting. So there's a key neurochemical called dopamine and we get a hit of dopamine when we start to make progress on things. It's our reward and recognition chemical. It's what drives those behaviours for us to kind of check our emails and to respond straight away uh, yeah, right. because we want to be able to tick that off. Okay. It's actually, it's, it's also what drives when we, you know, when we write our to-do list and we write something on our to-do list we've already done just so that we can tick it off. <laughs> it's because we want to get a hit of dopamine. <laughs> we've all done it. Um, and we get a hit of dopamine on something when we're not sure when it's going to pay out. And what I mean by that is our phones, our smartphones, but even our emails is we don't know when we're going to get a text message or when we're going to get an alert for an email or when we're going to get a notification of someone liking something on a social media. So every time we get one of those notifications, we get a hit of dopamine. It's so exciting. It's so, so interesting. So it's changing our brains, which is why you might check your phone and then you'll check it again two seconds later without even cognitively having thought about hey, I'm going to check my phone. It just is a natural reflex. We're addicted. So We're found, addicts of dopamine. Yeah. So what they've found now is that we actually get a hit of dopamine simply by looking at our phone because we're associating right. that as the rewards place that we, we get to feel a sense of progress. So, so when we say we do need to have a different interaction with technology, it's not just about putting our phones on silent. It's actually we need to put them away. We need to not even visually mm. be able to see them if we want to have time with our kids. Yeah. If we want to be present somewhere else. So yeah, I think there's a lot of lots going to come out in the research, but there's going to be a lot come out in the conversations around how how we mature and how we do it differently. That's very interesting. You know, the other day I was walking to the bus stop and I left the house knowing I didn't have my phone because I couldn't find it anywhere. My son often hides it in wonderful places. So I walked out knowing I didn't have it. And I, I have a, a about a seven-minute walk to the bus stop. And I think I, ch- I went to get it out of my pocket about five times in that walk, knowing very well that I didn't have it with me. It's a terrible habit. I, it makes so much sense what you talk about, that it's an actual chemical addiction. We just 
We are mm. obsessed with getting that chemical hit. Weird. Aren't we yeah. weird human beings, hey? We are weird. And you almost can't get cranky at someone when it happens. And and you'll you'll see when your kids start to grow up. <laughs> we do have times as parents where we, we might hand over a device and say, here's a game, here you play. Oh, and never, never so, happens. We never do that. No, 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 no. <laughs> You know, you you know how you become an expert of parenting before you have them because you actually have them. You frown, you look down on people. Oh, we'd never do that. Yeah, so my kids are nine and seven, and you know there are times where they'll they'll have the iPad or they'll play with something. And when I go to say, you know, five minutes is up, three minutes, and two minutes, one more minute, and then you're done. Even in that minute, even though they've been primed and ready, when I go, it's time. That resistance of I don't want to, and they'll. They'll have a mini tantrum about it. I just know in my head this isn't them. Yeah. This is the chemical Science. dopamine. Yeah. This is what's going on and it's okay. And it's okay that I say, no, we now have to put this away. And it's not until you get them outside and put a football in their hand that chemicals start to change in our brain. So, yeah, it's really interesting. A good high-quality distraction. All right, Alison, I love it. So we've talked about busy being a badge of honour and we had a little side conversation where I claim to not feel overwhelmed. Some of us don't, but lots of us do. And you talked about those common cognitive states, the checkout, burnout, freakout, and we even delved into the idea of, are we the first generation to feel this way? Probably not, but we are in a u- unique position because we're so connected and we just finished talking about that. So the reason for my summary is because this is the big question. So what do we do about all of this, Alison? What's the answer? Oh, my gosh, in 20 seconds or less. Right? <laughs> You've got as long as you want. You don't need to do it in 20 seconds. To be honest, I actually think it is coming back to those two drivers of change, of purpose and progress. And so often I'll say to people is coming back to and even bringing them down to two questions. Why this? Why am I doing this? And what's next? So getting clear on what's important to you. When we get clear on our values, our decisions become really, really easy. So when we get clear on, like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Is this actually something that's important to me? What else could I be doing right now? And when I talk about purpose, I don't necessarily mean, you know, what's your one big life purpose? What's the thing you were putting on the planet to do? Because I actually don't believe that. I think that we have these portfolio lives and we can find purpose in what we're doing right here and right now. But I also talk about purpose being just in the little things. So why are we having a team meeting at nine o'clock on Tuesday morning? Let's get clear on what the intent is behind doing that. For some people, even listening, they might be in that absolute chronic state of overwhelm. They go, I can't even see the woods for the trees. I don't even know what you're talking about. So in that state, the very first port of call is just to find ways in your day and in your week to hit the reset button, to actually just pause and get off the treadmill for a little while and realize that the balls that you're juggling may not all come crashing down if you just have a five-minute walk around the block, if you just pause and take three deep breaths, if you drive a different way home and take an extra 10 minutes and turn the radio off and turn your phone off and just be present in the moment. If you book a massage, so just what are those ways, whatever it is for you, and it'll be different for different people, Mm. but what are those ways just to hit the reset button, to actually shake up the rhythm and the routine and notice that when we do things even slightly differently, that life doesn't fall apart. 
At first, I thought you were just talking about people who are in that sort of freaked out quadrant, the people who know what their purpose is, but aren't getting anywhere. But then as you were speaking, I, I worked out that anyone, whether they're checked out, burnt out or freaked out, could go through those processes of hitting the reset button just to give themselves a bit more clarity and a bit of perspective that whatever it was that was overwhelming them isn't so bad after all. Absolutely. And, you know, whilst we've spoken about those those three states being quite distinctive, mm. the reality is we, and I'm always very hesitant for people to go grab a label and go, oh, that's me. I'm freak out, um, not burn out. Yeah, I'm freak out and that's my label. <laughs> I'm going to carry, like, that's what I've been for, you know, 18 months. Uh, oh, the, reality is, the reality is that we, all of us at different times will go through all four of them. And sometimes we can go through all four and the fourth one, I think that we've touched on, but the fourth one I talk about is the combination of the two is where we stand out. So when we're clear on our purpose and we are making progress, we can go through all four of those states and sometimes in an hour's experience, right? We have we might have a conversation with someone that who is inspired and they're lit up and they're nailing a project and we walk away and we go and we're killing it. Like we're we're absolutely killing it. And you can walk back to your desk and you can read an email that's a complaint or a critique or something that's really hard and you can like within seconds be back into that state of checkout and go the bottom falls out what's the point right so a big part of it is that self-awareness what's going on right here right now and that might shift and change notice for yourself and again what are those physiological changes of and that experience of overwhelm and it'll be slightly different for everyone but there is a a visceral experience. So for me, my overwhelm comes in my stomach churns and my jaw gets really, really tense. Right. When does that so, when does that happen to you, Alison? Yeah. <laughs> Once or twice. It's <laughs> <laughs> no, when, look, not when yeah. you're a guest on podcasts, obviously. No, not at all. I'm relaxed and I'm chilled. But <laughs> but no, it, they they're kind of some of my telltale signs. Having yeah. said that, again, I won't necessarily pick up on that. It's usually when my amazing husband will go, Al, you've snapped at the kids a little bit more than what they deserve. Mm. <laughs> Maybe it's time to take, you know, go and have a cuppa on your own and go down to the local coffee shop. And he knows well enough now that he can say it in a way that I go, yeah, you're right, rather than bite his head off. <laughs> your husband, the Parramatta Eels fan, I, I question his oh. choice of rugby league teams, yeah. but... I love the story that you opened the book with where he encourages you to get away from it all and he was going to take care of the kids and, and you just needed, as you've been talking about now, to hit that reset button. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, Paramount Eagles fan, so he's the most resilient, optimistic person on the planet. <laughs> Isn't he just? Poor guy. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm um, thinking as you talk, no, sorry, I'll, I'll let you finish before I dive into my question. I can't really remember where I was going oh, other sorry. than hit that reset button and get back to that we can move in those different states. I think that's what I was saying, that they can, we can shift in that space. When we are so, talking before, and I know I've just cut you off again. I'm so sorry. This, this, you keep talking and I'll try not to cut you off. Yeah, it's just around those states we can shift and change. So where is it that I can hit the reset button and come back to those two questions? Why this and what am I going to do next? So what am I doing right now and what's the next step from here? As we're talking, I'm thinking that this all sounds really great for us to find our purpose. What, you know, why am I doing this and what next? There would be some people who are listening to this or maybe people who are listening to this know someone who's in this position who are in that really deep checked out state. 
and they're almost, they're trapped there. You know, we know the unemployment figures. We know the average household debt in Australia. They're all very high. People are in some ways trapped in the job that they're doing because they just don't feel as though there's a huge range of options outside of that. If they can't feel purpose within their current role, if they've been through experiences there that is just a toxic work environment or they've been there for years and they're just over it and there is no light at the end of the tunnel for them, what's this next step for them? It's fine for us to say find some purpose, but they've been there 10 years and haven't found it. It's fine for us to say hit the reset button, but they know they're going to have to wake up tomorrow morning and go back to that same job. Where does the answer lie for people who are in that situation? Such a good question. And it's the reality is that we can't give up our day job often. Mm. We've got bills to pay, mortgages to pay, and I totally get that. I think part of it is that work doesn't have to give everything to our life as well. So is there something outside of work that lights you up, that you're going to get interested in? And again, finding something that's really meaningful for you We are in an era, we spoke before about how connected we are, where you literally can gather the tribe of the people of whatever it is that you're interested in. So if you want to learn the fine art of croqueting in southern China, (laughs) there's probably a group somewhere of people who are fanatical about that. Yeah. If you want to volunteer with a group in your local community or if you're part of a sporting group or you want to contribute and give back in other ways, then that would be where I would encourage people to start. And just knowing that, yeah, again, like I said, work doesn't have to give everything to you and what are some other things that you can do. Having said that, there might be plenty of people going, yeah, but I work a 12-hour shift and I get home and I've got to sleep and I get up tomorrow and I work another 12-hour shift. So, again, I get that. So if there's not the time or the capacity to even find that space in outside of work, then how can you find some meaning in the work that you're doing and what might be the lessons of a really crap situation that you might be in that is going to help your own growth? So is actually, again, seeing the situation that I'm in, if it is a boss that it, I'm really finding it difficult to connect with, I don't understand where they're getting there, They make zero decisions and whenever I take a great idea to them, it just gets completely shut down. Then what are the lessons that I can learn from that? What are the ways that I can grow from that? What are the ways that I might be able to extend my network outside of my boss that I can be involved in other aspects of the business? Where can I find, you know, some meaning even in that space that I'm in right now And this mightn't be the long-term job. This mightn't be the thing that I, you know, wished I was doing when I was going through school and thinking about my career, but it might be the leapfrog into something else. Could be the stepping stone. Could be. And it's just starting to peek through the tiny hole of possibility that what is it that I can learn and where is it, where else might I be able to go from here that this opportunity is going to give me the resilience, it's going to give me the voice if there are things that I need to speak up about. It's going to give me the clarity around boundaries. And when I say boundaries, it's about actually then being clear on what's okay and what's not okay and not falling into that victim space of saying, oh, well, that's just the way it is, it's just crap and I've just got to put up with it. Because 
because when we're in that space is, is to our happiness and that then has an impact on our family and our work and how we can contribute in that space as well. So, yeah, finding a way to see possibility around where can this leapfrog me into, into somewhere else. You're calling for proactivity there, aren't you, rather than being passive. And, and it's so important. It, it is often at the very cr- the core of making those changes. But when people are at their lowest, that can be the hardest thing to do. You made a really good point earlier then that work doesn't have to be anything. That's a really good point. But isn't it sad that we have to point that out? It should be really obvious to us in our life. But for so many people, because work physically dominates your day, it's right in the middle of the day. It takes up the best part of the day and it can be really tempting to slip into a life where work is the be all and end all. And if you don't have happiness there, then you don't have happiness in life. That's a really sad state for us to be in. Even if we do work 40 hours or 50 hours a day, I it makes me sad to think that we can't find time outside of that for something that's meaningful. And I think the most the happiest people I know do. The happiest people I know, no matter how busy they are or how full on their job is, they have something outside of work that makes them really happy, that really engages them. The people who are in the doldrums that I know are the people that probably rely on work for their emotions. Yeah, and it's actually paying attention to where you spend your time outside of work because mm. often I think if we, we actually track that, we'd be pretty surprised how many hours that we have available to yeah, us Yeah, and where can we give ourselves permission that we might turn off the TV <sighs> for a little while or we might not check our phones or we might, you know, go for a walk before we have dinner or go and do something. There is quite a few hours. We literally set up our business. It was nearly nine years ago now. My my son was just born, so he was seven weeks old. My husband was working full time and we decided we were going to set up our business and we actually boxed up our television. We put it back in the box that it was in so we weren't tempted to turn it on and that's how we started our business. We would put my son down at night and we would sit on the kitchen table and we would write training programs and pull it together. And yeah, so we had the TV boxed up for three months and yeah, launched our business that way. So it's a huge amount of time. Oh, look, and it's it's stating the bleeding obvious, but how, you know, if the, the people that you've worked with, what percentage of them would solve a great deal of their problems if they just didn't watch four hours of TV at night? And did something instead, maybe like even go to bed. So they felt actually rested the next day and could get up at 5.30 in the morning and go for a nice walk or a swim or a run or do something healthy for themselves. So they're not starting the day on the back foot, rushing to get to work and feeling as though they're they're a victim before they even really get started. TV's got a lot to answer for, hasn't it? Yeah, and a huge percentage of them would. And look, I get there are a lot of people going, but that's my downtime. That's yeah. <laughs> that's where I kind of hit reset. That's my thing. Again, and it's it's an interesting comment, but what we know from neuroscience is, yes, it is a switch off time, but TV shows and movies are written and engineered to tap into that adrenaline source in our body. So we ride the wave of emotion of a great show or a movie. We go through the angst of that, even though we're watching it on television, even though we think we're kind of switched off and not really absorbed in it, we can be actually increasing the adrenaline levels in our body, aside from the fact that we're also watching 
you know, a TV screen, which is blue light, which actually makes it really hard to go to sleep if we're then just turning the TV off and jumping straight into bed. So it has an impact on our sleep cycle as well. So yes, it is. It can be a downtime, but uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think a, a huge percentage of people would find that now we have to talk to our families or our flatmates or the people that are around us if we didn't have that. Or read a book and, and engage in a story that way. You know, all those all those fabulous things. Look, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. The idea of minimising TV and what it can add to your life at both ends of your day. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just encourage people to experiment with it is mm. really the mindset that I bring is don't sort of go, well, no, I would never do that, is try it for a week run an experiment of seven days and go, hey, we'll give this a go or we're just going to have one TV night a week. Choose what that night is and then, again, for a week or two, just see what happens, see how hard it is, see what are some of the benefits and then tweak and change the experiment that fits you. And that way you get to be strategic about where you put your time rather than reactionary to Monday night, seven o'clock, we just always put the TV on and then we, we're in that habit and a whole week's gone and we, we haven't read that book that we, we wanted to do. And we haven't gone to bed before 11 o'clock and we haven't been able to get up early and do a little bit of exercise, all that stuff, knock on us, but actually a bit of a passion of mine. Hey, you know, you and I were talking before we came on air about podcast listeners. I had a great interaction with a podcast listener recently who a while ago listened to an episode I did with a guy called Craig Ballantyne, who was all about designing your perfect life. This podcast listener took the advice of Craig on the podcast and just started getting up 10 minutes earlier than he used to. And then he extended that to 20 minutes or half an hour. And he started to go for a walk and then a run. And in that time, since that podcast, which is probably six or eight or nine months, he's lost 20 kilos just by, wow. by, by changing a little bit about his day and doing it incrementally. And he was just so alive and passionate about the changes he's made to his life. And, and a smaller side is just watching less TV at night so he can wake up in the morning and not feel overwhelmed by the early hour. It was a great story. And, and it just, I just wanted to share that because it relates to exactly what you said. And he's probably listening to this. So great story. I love hearing things like that. And I think Alison, people will get little lessons like that out of our conversation today. You've, you've shared a lot of really smart stuff about life. Hey, I'm going to finish off by asking four really quick questions to end the podcast. But before we do that, do you have anything you want to sign off with? Any last pieces of wisdom? I reckon part of the sign off is, for me, I would say, get clear on the stuff that is important to you. So I love the idea of just incremental changes. One of the things that I did do was had someone say to me, write a list of the things that nourish your soul. And I get that that sounds really woo-woo and it sounds really kind of soft and fluffy, but I did it. I went with that experiment mindset. For a week, I kind of went, okay, let, what's the stuff that just fulfills me, that when that happens, it makes me feel good. And the things that were on my list were things like, and now we live 5Ks from the beach, so it was having a swim in the ocean. It was hearing my kids laugh. It was having lunch in the sun. And what I realized was all of these things were 100% within my control and I could schedule them into my week. And in fact, the busier the week, the harder the week, the more important these yeah. things were. So those small changes, phenomenal. So for me, it is getting up early, but I'm also super conscious whenever I'm around my kids is to take the extra time to give them a tickle so I can hear them laugh <laughs> <laughs> because I know that's what kind of lifts me up. So 
know the small things that are important to you and schedule them into your week. That's a really nice piece of advice, Alison. All right. You're not off the hook. Four really quick questions. And if you'd listened to my podcast before, you'd know what they are. So you've missed an opportunity to prepare. Spontaneity. Let's go. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Tell me about your favorite Saturday night. Is it a big party with lots of people you know or an intimate dinner with your closest friends? Oh, intimate dinner with closest friends. Oh, you'd you'd be surprised. It's shocking how many people say that. It's amazing. Yeah. All right. Question number two. Are you more likely to get bogged down in the detail or caught daydreaming? I'm a daydreamer. Absolute daydreamer. I'm not surprised <laughs> to hear that. Been, yep. Big picture thinker. I don't look at detail very closely at all. So yeah, big picture. All right. What about this one? Do you make decisions based on emotion or are you a slave to rational thought? Uh, emotion. I'm a psychologist. <laughs> so, I'm all about the emotion. Does it feel right? I will... I'm a researcher, so I will gather the rationality, Mm -hmm. but the final decision is always based on on gut. Awesome. Great answer. And very last question. I think I know the answer to this already. You're going on a road trip. Do you like to know exactly where you're going, plan the route, book the hotels, or do you just get in the car and drive? Get in the car and drive. Life's an adventure. (laughs) Let's just see what's out there. Alison Hill, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. No, thank you. That was great. And that was Alison Hill. I really enjoyed gaining an insight into the state of being overwhelmed, that feeling that burdens all of us at some point through our life. For some, sadly, it's a constant burden. Being able to put labels on it and understanding where it comes from can only help. And I love that simple quadrant model, progress and purpose, and the way it plotted so sensibly those four cognitive states. Check out, burn out, freak out, and of course, stand out. I'll include that quadrant model and a description of those cognitive states along with everything else I took from this episode on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it on the Team Guru website. That's teams with an S dot guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn, and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the principles and theory of team and leadership development. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.